Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC communities, have had substantially higher rates of COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths than white American communities during the pandemic. Now, an important area of focus is ensuring equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines and promoting vaccine uptake in these communities. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Michelle Andrasik, a senior staff scientist in the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Division at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Dr. Andrasik has co-authored a perspective article about vaccine hesitancy and structural barriers to vaccine access in BIPOC communities. Dr. Andrasik, what do we know about current rates of COVID-19 vaccination among various racial and ethnic groups in the United States? Are there still inequities? Unfortunately, there are, even in places uh, where uh, vaccine uptake and acceptability are incredibly high. For example, here in Seattle, Washington, where we have reached 70% of the population vaccinated, we're seeing that among Black and African-American and Latino and Hispanic communities, those communities are hovering around the 55% Mark. And this is largely, again, concentrated in specific zip codes that need to be an area of focus. But in other ethnic minority groups here in Seattle, we're seeing really great uptake. For example, among Asian and Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, and even in the indigenous populations here in Indian and Alaska Native populations, we are seeing really good uptake and acceptability of the vaccine. And then around the country, I think it's worth noting that the states that have the lowest vaccine uptake, like Mississippi is hovering around 27%, and then some of the other southern states, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, they're all hovering around 30, 35% of vaccine uptake and acceptability. And it's those states that also have the highest number of zip codes with African-American Black residents numbering over 13% of those geographic areas. So yes, we are continuing to see racial and ethnic disparities around the country. What do we know about the reasons for a lack of trust in the healthcare system in these communities? To what degree do you think the skepticism is related to current inequities, and to what degree does it stem from historical injustices? Well, honestly, I think it is a combination of both. But I do think that the contemporary injustices are forefront in most people's minds. We hear about injustices, invalidations, hostilities that people have experienced yesterday, or last week, or last month, or last year in the medical system by providers who are there to help them achieve health and well-being and sort of these individuals walk away feeling not positive about those encounters. So it makes people question the healthcare system. I think most disturbing to me is when the vaccine was first available, I was reached out to by several individuals who work in local hospitals here, informing me that healthcare providers and people working within the hospital system who identified as Black, Indigenous, and people of color were not wanting to take the vaccine, were really skeptical of the vaccine, 
And so we began talking to healthcare providers, nurses, PAs, lab assistants in the hospitals, largely BIPOC individuals. And many of them were skeptical because of the discrimination that they felt working within the institution. And how could an institution where I've experienced X, Y, and Z be trustworthy and a place where I can feel comfortable getting my vaccine? So really talking to individuals about the scientific process of developing the vaccine, how it came about so rapidly, looking at the actual long history of mRNA technology and really addressing some of the fears in terms of side effects, in terms of long-term illnesses that could be associated with the vaccine, of which, you know, there's no precedent. So I think really talking to people one-on-one, that's what we did for a lot of the healthcare providers. That's what we're continuing to do today to really address the fears. I think part of the challenge is that it's easy to sweep some of the skepticism under the rug. Oh, you know, people are distrustful, people are skeptical. And in reality, I think it's that people need to have their fears and doubts and concerns listened to and have the conversation about the vaccine and address those concerns, address those fears, address some of the feelings that they have regarding the larger medical institution, regarding some of the encounters that they've had recently, as well as some of the things that have happened because of the BIPOC people who have blown the whistle in instances like Tuskegee, in instances like the Havasupai Indian and Native and Indigenous peoples. I think having those frank conversations has really made a difference. Actually, I've been speaking a lot to our PTSA here in my school district where 50% of the people who attend our school, a little over 50 actually, are BIPOC, really talking to the parents and the teachers. And I was really pleased when our principal, who is an African-American woman, was like, you know, the conversations that you've had with the PTSA have really helped me turn my decision around and help me get vaccinated and help me talk to my family and friends. I think those are the kinds of things that we need to move forward and to really increase acceptability and uptake in our communities. So in addition to this skepticism, you also write in your article that reports of disparities in vaccine access throughout the country point to broader systemic challenges. What are some examples of these broader structural issues that are contributing to inequitable access? I think the location of vaccination sites is a huge one. Healthcare centers are not largely situated in more resource-poor communities. This is specifically true in the southern United States. So people may have to travel upwards of an hour, an hour and a half to get medical services. And if you're already on the fence about vaccination and you've heard conflicting messages about vaccination, the prospect of driving an hour and a half to get vaccinated is not one that you're likely to feel very positive about. We have found here in the Pacific Northwest that closing the gap in terms of equitable distribution 
has really meant that we partner with community-based organizations that are located within communities. So churches and community centers and really ensuring that those spaces have access to vaccine. And these vaccine pop-up sites, as they've been referred to here in the Pacific Northwest, have really made a huge difference. And if you look at the numbers of individuals who are being vaccinated, the large majority of BIPOC individuals are being vaccinated at these pop-up clinics and the mobile units. The city of Seattle and the Seattle Police Department joined together to do mobile clinics. And so those mobile clinics have been going out into communities, out into housing developments, out onto tribal reservations, and working with community leaders there to really plan these mobile vaccine clinics. And again, those are the sites where we're seeing the majority of BIPOC vaccinations. And I think it's also worth noting that we're seeing a huge uptick in vaccination among BIPOC people in places like Maryland and specifically the Baltimore area where local universities have partnered with barbershops and beauty salon owners to really get the word out and really train these barbers and beauticians, estheticians to talk to individuals about vaccines. The White House has an incredible initiative that is now happening across the country to really engage barbershop and beauty salon owners and not only engage them in terms of ensuring that they have the information they need to impart that to their clients and to the people who frequent their shops, but also providing them the opportunity to set up vaccination sites within their businesses. And I think that these innovative approaches are really going to be what takes vaccinations to these communities that don't have access. The other issue is when are these vaccination clinics or vaccination sites operational? Many people don't have the luxury to be able to take a couple of hours off during the day to go get a vaccination. So ensuring that vaccinations are available at all times throughout the day, especially outside of the nine to five window when people who have to clock in and who have to take time off and lose pay if they do take that time off can have access to vaccines outside of work hours. And also, you know, childcare is a huge issue as well. So ensuring that the spaces are set up where individuals might be able to bring their children with them. And given that children under 11 don't have access to the vaccine, ensuring the safety of those children as they show up to those clinics, I think is also something to keep in mind. And I really think that those are the three major barriers. And then one of the contributing barriers that I've seen is not having people who can speak the language, not having people who are part of the community at the vaccine site. If someone doesn't know how to navigate or has questions about vaccination or still has concerns but show up, it's really, really critical 
that you have someone there who can really connect to individuals and really talk to them about vaccination. At one of the churches here in Seattle, just to give you an example, uh, people were showing up with their grandparents, with their aunts and uncles, and they were still somewhat hesitant about being vaccinated. But having people there who could sit and talk with them about the vaccine and talk to them about how it was developed and some uh, what they can expect in terms of side effects was really comforting and really made the difference in terms of people staying and getting vaccinated or turning around and leaving. And then looking ahead, if we're able to successfully increase access to COVID-19 vaccines and uptake, what are going to be the next challenges involved in building back from COVID-19 in BIPOC communities? I think that we have to address many of the social and structural factors that place BIPOC communities at greatest risk. The next infectious disease that hits is going to disproportionately impact BIPOC individuals. We've seen that with HIV. We've seen that with STIs. We see it with cardiovascular disease, with diabetes, and now with COVID. So it is no surprise that COVID disproportionately impacts BIPOC individuals. And it's largely due to longstanding economic injustices that have led to BIPOC individuals representing large segments of the economic workforce that is in service industry jobs where they have to show up. Those jobs are generally low-wage jobs that don't often come with insurance. Unfortunately, insurance in our society and the quality of that insurance is linked often to your job. And the higher paying your job is, the better insurance you have, which places people who are in low-wage jobs at risk of poor health outcomes and challenges with overall health and well-being, um, mental health and physiological health. Also, decades of housing discrimination finds BIPOC individuals more likely to be in areas where there is high population density, which facilitates the transmission of infectious disease, particularly a respiratory disease like SARS-CoV-2. And I think we really need to think about how we can address some of these societal issues that place people at differential risk. And also, we as a society, and I think it's really been quite promising over the last few months to see some real action in our medical institutions and across healthcare organizations to really move forward and take action on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our medical providers, all of us, need to be aware of our biases and how our biases impact our medical decisions, impact treatment decisions, impact recommendations for follow-up, for prophylactic care, and so forth. And I think some attention has been paid to that in the past, but certainly not enough. The literature is filled with examples of how biases 
play out across the healthcare institution and disproportionately impact BIPOC individuals. And I also think that one of the things that HIV has shown us, and I've been working in HIV for over 30 years now, so really HIV has shown us this. And I think that COVID-19 has opened the door for more people to see this, but we really need to focus on health literacy among our population. I mean, I think it's really quite troubling to see the low uptake of vaccine in this country, knowing that vaccines and clean water are the two things that have led to longer life expectancy and just better life and better health and well-being. And to see so much negative press and negative feelings about vaccines, to me, really indicates that we are not investing enough in health literacy and particularly around vaccines and around the immune system and how vaccines work and why they're so critical. So I really would love to see more investment in that area as well as a continued movement towards addressing the economic, social, and structural factors that place individuals with devalued identities at greater risk. Thank you, Dr. Andresik. 